Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Welcome back to Two Guys, One Book. I'm Tim, here as always with Brian. And, That's right. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing tonight? Just living the dream. That's right. Yep. Great weather, as always. Uh-huh. Great weather for book reading. That's what I'll say. Uh-huh. Yes. Good transition. Yes. Um, so, what did we read this week, Brian? I don't know, Tim. You picked it. Why don't you say what we read? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I picked this book, and I, it is called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Ah, that's and how it, you say the name. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's how I say it. And um, it's based, not based on, but it's sort of an extension of a book called Finite and Infinite Games, written in like the, I don't know, 70s, 60s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of takes this idea, expands on it, adds some more modern examples, and um, yeah, that's basically it. So What, I, what idea? Oh, okay, yeah. Quick synopsis, and then first impressions. I, I should know the formula by now, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, synopsis. So essentially, like when it comes to life, and especially business, there's people who play finite games and there are people who play infinite games. And if it's a finite game, it's very focused on like winners and losers and competition. But the infinite game is more about having a just cause and pursuing a vision with courage um, and just basically being true to your values and, and things that you stand for over time and not giving in to the pressure to, you know, focus on your competition rather than, you know, something bigger than that. So, yeah. What do you think about that? Did I, can I cover yeah. cover it well? That is the broad strokes of this book. Yes, um, I you know he talks about you know when we think of game, we think of like something we play with friends or family or sports. Um, but a finite game and infinite game can be about anything. Um, and he very much focused on business, right? Mm-hmm. How the finite view of quarterly reports and increasing your market share for companies doesn't doesn't perform doesn't actually help the company perform better than visionary leaders that take an infinite uh, approach to business. They have this just cause or vision that they want to lead people towards, and they don't they don't really worry about the the ups and downs of their stock price or or you know increasing revenue by x amount each year they are more focused on a, a higher purpose so to speak and so he he went at great lengths to explain what uh, finite games are and what infinite games are and how um and when what you can use along along the way uh, yeah too yeah. yeah i think that summarizes it well and yeah. and if we could take a step back and just say why i chose this one so yeah i read um Good question. <laughs> I chose it because I read his other two books, uh, Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last. So his kind of approach generally has been to take this, um, you know, somewhat general, simple idea, but then expand on it, give some good examples and kind of weave it into business lessons and just general leadership uh, lessons as well. But I think he's well-spoken. He's got a lot of good talks and like TED Talks online and um Sometimes I have my critiques with his style, but overall, I think he's got some interesting ideas. So okay, so you've read his other books, yeah, and and I would assume his other books focus heavily on the business world as well. 
Yeah, definitely a similar yeah. tone. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think that, you know, he, so he had, fits a niche market. And let me ask you, as a not super businessy person, what was your impression of this book? Eh. <laughs> I didn't I think mean, you'd love it. I'll be honest. <laughs> the more no, I read it, I, I was like, no, I, okay. I, I kind of, I know, I've, knew, I know about, I saw his other books too when I, when I searched for this one, and found this one. Um, I think this was the one that would most appeal to me. I think the, the why the leaders eating last, I think, would be interesting read, but I don't know if I would want to invest the whole time in the book. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. Um, yes, as someone, I, I myself am not really that interested. I like in the business world, I guess I like following the stock market and, and what, you know, companies are up to and, and that kind of thing. Stamps.com. But what's that? Stamps.com. Stamps.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just bought Airbnb. They just uh, had an IPO this year, so I think that was a good investment. Yeah. What's that? Travel's going to come back big, right? Yeah, it is. Bounce yeah. Back. But anyway, um, so yeah, so this book being geared towards the business world and not, and even more specifically in the business world about managers of other people. Like I myself am not a manager of other people. I manage my own schedule and my own stuff and I work well with others and I would think I would be a good manager. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I would, you know, never want to manage other people, but as someone who isn't currently involved in a role of managing others, I, there were times in, in this book that I was a little bored. Yes. Did I like his stories? Yes. I felt like I, I liked it overall. Um, just, it took me a while to get into it. I'll say that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, especially because he talks a lot about like CEOs of companies. And it's like, how many of us can relate to this very small, uh, exactly. you know, kind of rarely shared role? Right. Um, well, he didn't call them CEOs. He call, he wanted, he thinks they should be called CBOs. Chief, Chief Vision Officers. Vision Officers, yeah. yeah. I know. How corny is that? <laughs> it's a, yeah. There are times you might cringe. It's a little cheesy, but um, yeah. I think the overall lesson is good. Right. And uh, But yeah. what were your, your first impressions? What did you like? I liked it. I think similar to some of my critiques with his other books, it's like maybe a little too simplistic, repetitive. Um, I feel like you could probably watch one of his like interviews or talks and kind of get the gist of the idea. Um, but overall, I feel like it's um, still good values and lessons that he's trying to put out there. Like so many right. companies, it seems like just, you know, focus on the smaller uh, thing, just trying to make a profit. They're beholden to their shareholders yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, if companies take the long term, they can just do better overall. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I I, I say that was my um, one thing I enjoyed about the book is the the very concrete examples he uses throughout. He doesn't like. He's not afraid to name, call out companies that did poorly in his mind of viewing business as a finite game and then failing at it, like Kodak and uh, I think GE. Some he, he he didn't speak of GE in in very well good terms, but like and there and other companies like that. And I thought that was good because then he also talked about companies that do it well. Um, 
like Apple and Disney and, and um, other companies like that. So I felt like he used the, the use of very concrete examples from the real business world helped um, give his uh, ideas more concrete feel. Yeah, I will say, though, I did take a class with some MBA students um, in school before, and uh, they, they were saying how, like, it's always, like, stories uh, Blockbuster and Kodak that always come up for case studies of, like, you know, the companies <laughs> that fail to adapt to destructive yeah. technologies. So, yeah, um, familiar true. territory somewhat, but yeah. Um, and then I, he did kind of weave in and out. He'd be like, also, there are finite and infinite games with politics and war and and then uh, with, you yeah. know, well, he talks about like the Vietnam War and how like, you know, it was, yeah. uh, you know, sort of this finite versus infinite thing. But I mean, yeah, that's tricky because in his case, I feel like he, he can always like cherry pick examples and, and try to weave a pattern together when it's like, is there something there? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What was your biggest critique of the book? I don't know if there's one thing in particular. It probably just in general being a little simplistic and, um, you know, repetitive, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just, the, the, the fact that it focuses on the business world a little too much for me. I mean, I, I liked part, I liked good chunks of it. You know, I felt like he broke it down into, into a couple of different areas. Like, uh, for infinite game, you try to advance a just cause Mm -hmm. And you build trusting teams and then study your worthy rivals so that you can, you know, w your worthy rivals might be strong in areas where you're weak and you can take lessons from them. You're not there to crush your rival. You're there to use them as a, as a challenge to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to practice existential flexibility when things, when the markets shift and, you know, you're kind of stuck in a rut, you got to break out of it. And then, mm -hmm demonstrate the courage to lead those were his big things and i kind of liked um i liked some more than others um i forget what section it was under but um he talks about so on, under parts of like because these weren't always broken down by the chapters but um under trusting teams section there was um he talked about ethical fading mm -hmm. and where you know is a condition in a culture that allows people to act in unethical ways in order to advance their own interests, often at the expense of others, while falsely believing that they have not compromised their own moral principles. Ethical fading often starts with small, seemingly innocuous transgressions that, when left unchecked, continue to grow and compound. Mm -hmm. And this was the chapter he used Wells Fargo as an, an example, where people want... The, the 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 employees lower on the totem pole at Wells Fargo felt pressure to get so many new accounts every month or every quarter. And so they ended up just creating accounts for people that then these people didn't even know they had these accounts open at Wells Fargo. They would open them so they could say that they opened so many new accounts this month and then they would close them, you know, and it just let snowballed where they were doing it so much that it, and it was just perverse throughout the whole company, this culture of of fraud basically just because they felt like they the pressure to open to open to meet these metrics you know? yeah that was a really interesting story and it's one of those cases where it's like you can't say it was one or two bad employees like this yeah. was a systemic thing across the organization because they really just valued that short-term thinking short-term profits and the lower level employees were under so much pressure to open accounts like you said 
Right. So. Right. And his argument being that if, if, if people have a more infinite view of their their goal or their their just cause, then they're not going to be worried about those, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter performance. And then they'll they'll get the everyone on board kind of towards the same goal and not. Um, yeah. Com- yeah. Cut corners like that. Yeah, it's basically saying as a company, like, what do you stand for? What do you stand against? Mm-hmm. You know, your principles and and can you stick to that conviction, right. even if it like might make you more money in the short term to cut corners or do this or that. But so, so I, I guess another critique I have is like I just I don't know how applicable I'll be able to ha- you know take this book and apply it to my own life. Um, do you do you see do you see? Yeah. Instances in your life where you can apply this kind of thinking? Well, okay, let me uh, ask you, though, at like at some level, as someone who is a shareholder in some stocks and interested in investing, you're going to okay. look for the infinite companies. You don't want to invest in the Kodaks and the Blockbusters of today. You want to <laughs> invest in the Apples and the Disneys and the, right. you know. Correct. All right. So, yes, you're right. I have thought about that. I have thought about using this this infinite mindset in looking at the companies that I want to invest in. Sure. Yes. But to me, it just felt like he solely focused on like the leadership of these companies and not like me as whether I put my money into Apple or, or Kodak. Like, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think that was, I guess that's one form of application of this book. Yeah. Oh, sorry. What else could it be? Well, I mean, what Um, else could you apply? I'm trying to think on a more direct and personal level. Like, um, I mean, you know, working for uh, any kind of business, really, you can think about how it could apply to you. Like, especially if you're in a leadership position at some point, like you can, um, you know, help position your company in whatever role you're at to be like stand for something. Like I said, like the just cause, the vision or whatever, mm-hmm. versus trying to just focus like always on whatever your competition may be, what they're doing, right. um, which is kind of broad and like general to say, but yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I think, but, but, but I think then also like, cause immediately, you know, like what if there's people within an organization in the structure on down on the lower end of the totem pole, like those people, at Wells Fargo, like how are they, you know, they don't have any control over whether their executives have a, vi- a higher vision that they are trying to achieve. They are just there the day in and the day out. So maybe you make the argument that y- you read this book and if you're just, uh, you know, kind of middle manager uh, or in the middle of the pack, you can use this book as a guideline to view areas where maybe people are taking a finite view of things and maybe yeah. not let yourself fall into that trap. And, you know, maybe you're just one person in an organization, but maybe that will help you and your own personal work get better. Yeah, I think so. And also maybe like a bigger thing that we missed is um, people looking for a new job to start or looking to change jobs. Like what kind of company do you want to work for? Like he gave the example of Facebook where, you know, so much of their business is about capturing data and, you know, maybe some practices that are getting less and less accepted. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like it's your career and and like personal, you know, identity on the line. Like you have some choice in the matter, but okay. The interesting thing too, that he says is that the goal of the infinite game is just to keep playing. It's not about winning or losing. It's to be able to keep playing it. So, Uh, yeah, um, you know, there was was one line I liked too. Oh, go for it. 
better in the in the infinite game better is better than best mm. because better implies that you can always continue to be better yeah best if your goal is to be the best then that is like a pinnacle mm-hmm. you know you can't if you achieve being the best where do you go from there you know yeah that's well said i think yeah these subtle differences in the language are worth thinking about and i think the example of of apple is a good company because like they've been so like product focused for so long they've just outlasted all these companies like apple netflix um and netflix is a good one too because like they had to change their business model from like they did the mail-in then they switched to digital then they switched to creating their own content so they had to keep kind of reinventing themselves um because Mm -hmm. their mission is like let's bring everyone the best you know content so that's kind of do you think there'll be a time when netflix only has original content uh it's kind of heading in that direction i don't know it's hard to say like exclusively original but it seems like it's been getting more and more oh uh, it's going it's going to happen at some point because you know you got hbo max peacock uh disney plus I mean, I think Warner Brothers is, and and Fox is going to come out with something, but it's like it will problem all over again. It's like we got too many choices, right? Exactly. But like, but ultimately, what I'm getting at is everybody that has the content that owns the content is only going to want it to be streamed on their platforms. You know, Netflix pays, you know, has it or has agreements with these other movie studios or television production studios to show the office when the office was on Netflix or friends, you know, like, but I don't think you can watch those on those on Netflix anymore. You know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, um, so at some point in the future, Netflix will be purely all original content. I'm not going to argue against that, Brian. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to say that's a bad thing either, because I think Netflix has put out quality stuff. I can't say I watch much Netflix original stuff. Mm-hmm. but that's just me that, that you know what's crazy though like i've seen good shows on hbo hulu netflix uh amazon prime like each, each platform has its own solid show mm-hmm. um, but yeah but then you almost have to like do you how do you pick your platforms or do you just subscribe to all of them and then there's your cable well mm-hmm. that could be somewhat of a tangent but i'm trying to yeah. think about what would okay the author of this book say about Ooh. streaming like who's gonna be the blockbuster of today in like 10 years you know what i mean right like i think would it be in, like cbs and nbc and yeah they seem more at a disadvantage but like who knows what it'll look like in 10 20 years like maybe right. we'll all be in like vr with our avatars watching a program <laughs> i don't know <laughs> hey a lot more like ready player one years. huh yeah exactly like <laughs> come on like you know, in the 90s, can you imagine everything's like how it is today? Oh, no, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard because we see it day after day. But like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't notice the big like, oh, everybody's got a smartphone versus like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. What would be the next cool thing to come along? Flying cars? The, some sort of flying transportation system that's better than airplanes? That, that's like the go to like future. It is, I know. <laughs> Is that too too cliche? We have airplanes are just flying cars, dude. They have wheels. You can drive them. <laughs> Hardly. Um, I think I'm well, like drones. They huh? have like like little drones that are like mini helicopters that 
right. people have looked into. Right. Like, um, That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Robots. Robotic we, stuff. Just, we just don't have the infinite mindset, Tim. <laughs> I'm trying. Sorry about this book. <laughs> um, you know, another thing I think about that, better being better than best, that. it's kind of like America, right? And he the, does talk about America in the intro for quite a bit, like the early part. He does? Well, how the Declaration of Independence is channeling this infinite vision like right. free and whatever perfect yeah thing. life yeah. liberty and the pursuit of happiness all men are created equal but like uh, the constitution you know it's a form of more perfect union where it's always tr- striving to be more perfect because it's never going to be completely perfect there's always going to be something we can get better yeah. more perfect right. yeah <laughs> more perfect is the proper proper english <laughs> yeah but no, yeah. So America, America is a very infinite-minded thing, yeah. I think. But okay, so you can reverse that and talk about how, like, you know, the war on terrorism, the war on drugs, the Vietnam War. We had this infinite approach to these things that kind of ended up, um, you know, Did being we have really infinite. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Did we have infinite? I, I, I would push back against that. Okay, let me clarify. All right. When the the term infinite isn't uh good or bad in itself the way he uses it he uses it in a way that it just means where the goal is to keep playing and there's not a clear winner or loser so in the case of like u.s versus vietnam you have these presidents like um nixon and lbj kennedy and none of them wanted to like pull out and have the image of like losing to vietnam so we just stay in this war year after year that's just like you know really unpopular and and bad in lots of ways right um so that's but i would say that's a finite view of the of the the conflict because the finite view is that there are winners and losers, right? The finite view is saying that we don't want to pull out our, our troops now because we're losing. We don't want to look like losers, so we're not yeah. going to pull our troops out. That's a finite view, right? If they took the infinite view, saying like. What is ultimately good for American foreign policy and our morale of our armed forces? It's to get the hell out of Vietnam. They would have gotten out of Vietnam, right? Yeah, I'm just thinking the parallel with like America. It's like we declare our independence and say we're pursuing life, liberty and justice. We're not just trying to like, you know, break free from the British. It's more profound. Right. Right. But then when talking about like war on drugs and terrorism, like you have this really like vague general thing where maybe all these departments get more funding and people keep their positions or whatever but it's not a healthy uh you know programs overall right. or philosophies right because i think the 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 con- idea there is that war on drugs is and war on terror is something that we have to win we're not done until we win and then there's no real benchmark like they yeah. set up a finite mindset on something that has no finish line right really. you can never win something that like abstract you're right right so i think you're setting yourself up up for disappointment for sure yeah yeah agreed okay Mm -hmm. one interesting story he had early on is um like the soviet union there's this guy who was trying to make a seed bank so it could survive past him like even though there was all this starvation and stuff going on like they were just trying to keep this cause going. So I thought, Man. you know, that was a good example. That was, so, like, yeah, because this was during World War II, right? Was it yeah. World War II? I think so, yeah. yeah. When the, the 
yeah, the Hitler and the Nazis were invading Russia, and they were, uh, was it, uh, doing a blockade around Saint Petersburg or something like that, yeah. where there were there was starvation in the city, and they had all these seeds, but they were protecting the seeds to for a seed bank. They weren't protecting them to be used for food. So like everyone working for the seed bank was had all these seeds that they could theoretically plant in the ground and grow food, mm-hmm. but they didn't because they saw a higher just cause of saving these seeds for uh, in the future, whenever it may be. They didn't, they didn't look at their current predictive predicament as being bad enough to use them because they yeah. knew the seeds were ultimately for ever. Well, now that I think about it, do you think it's a little weird, like going from that story to like basically the rest of business stories, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's a good point. It's a weird ratio of like, it it was, that was, that was probably the, I forgot about that story. So I'm glad you brought it up. That was one of the few examples he used that wasn't revolved around business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about this one? I think this is a good one. Uh, CVS decided to stop selling cigarettes because part of their mission is providing like healthcare to people. And then you have companies like Walgreens and another pharmacy, Rite Aid, I think, that just like they keep selling cigarettes, you know, throughout the 90s, 2000s, even after this big, you know, anti-tobacco uh, push. Right. So, when um, when and, and his argument was that all three of those companies in their mission statements that they put out are all about improving the health of everyday Americans, blah, 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 blah. So how can you say you're interested in improving the health and the quality of life of everyday Americans when you're selling, you know, cigarettes and tobacco products? But imagine the pressure of like, you know, you're a Walgreens executive, you're on the board, you want to bring up this unpopular decision of being like, hey, let's make less money. Let's stop Mm -hmm. selling this product that is addictive. So that's why it's popular. But it's like you take that hit in the short term and then long term, you have a better brand. You stand for something you earn like CVS earned these whole foods type uh, brands and customers just because they took a firmer stance, you know, on health. You're absolutely right. The short in the short term, you have short term pain for long term gain. And that is unfortunately like that's the perfect example of the finite mindset versus the infinite mindset where Walgreens and Rite Aid were too worried about the financial hit they would take in the the next few financial quarters instead of actually looking at the the what's best for everybody. Yeah, and just going off of that, I didn't realize how popular or how it came about like in the 70s. Like did you know about like Milton Friedman's policies and how influential they were just about generating profit for shareholders being the primary responsibility of businesses? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, I think that's totally asinine. Yeah. Milton Friedman. Yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, he, he, his, his theory was that companies are responsible to the owners to make as much money as they can. And the owner's definition that Friedman came up with was the shareholders of the company. And I think that has sent us on such a bad trajectory that I even highlighted a section of the book about it. You want me to read it? Perfect. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm reading it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The constant abuse since the late 70s has left us with a form of capitalism that is now, in fact, broken. It is a kind of bastardized capitalism that is organized to advance the interests of a few people who abuse the system for personal gain which has done little to advance true benefits of capitalism as a philosophy. Indeed, the entire philosophy of shareholder primacy and Friedman's definition of the purpose of business 
was promoted by investors themselves as a way to incentivize executives to prioritize and protect their finite interests above all else. That's good. Yeah, That's and he good. goes on to say right. that the Economic Policy Institute reported in 1978 the average CEO made approximately 30 times the average worker's salary. By 2016, the average CEO had increased over 800% to 271 times the average worker's pay. So that's insane. Yeah, there's such a disconnect between like whoever's at the top and you know. Right. I mean, that. there's so much. There's so many problems in today's society that stem from income inequality. And Milton Friedman's principles of the '70s taken to heart and then bastardized, bastardized by uh, you know, cap of uh, shareholders to get more money mm-hmm. is just sent this country in, in in the wrong direction yeah i agree and it's something that's feels like it's overdue to change on a bigger scale um, i sure hope so I'm, yeah. not, I'm not that optimistic what do you but like i guess GameStop is a is trying yeah. to overthrow that right that's the occupy wall street of uh robin hood and Reddit. Yeah. yeah oh man <laughs> it's it's a funny company to put all their uh you know efforts behind Right, it, is. it really doesn't look good like to or it it's hard to think how the business can thrive in these times but if they can do the infinite game and break away away from their dependence on retail that's right they can start you know hosting the next big cloud gaming platform and then and then all these people save gamestop and that could be like a hero story <laughs> there's gonna be movies about this for sure i don't know okay so let's talk about a couple like quick solutions so like how do we like get past this era of you know evil capitalism that's <laughs> and i let me offer a couple of quick ideas yeah and and i'm not saying all capitalism is evil i'm just saying like it's the way it's being used now it's um harmful in a lot of ways so right. how do we channel the productive good aspects of it versus right. the detrimental ones so okay so long-term stock exchange that's an interesting idea that i feel like has been getting more popular so you basically like, I don't, you know, there's more info out there on this, but like, you know, you can't withdraw money early on. You're basically in it for the long haul. Um, and the other what, thing is like, whoa, oh, go, go back, go in more depth with that long term stock exchange. Yeah. So you've got like the New York stock exchange, right? And right. that sort of thing. But um, instead of like something that you can just buy and sell at will, like day to day, hour by hour. Uh, this one is more just like, you know, you invest your money, but the idea is to keep it in, you know, a long time. There's there's probably some limits just baked into it to keep people from short selling. Yeah. So there's a minimum uh, yeah, uh, requirement for you to hold a company. Right. Right. Oh. And I think something about the stock prices, like maybe it's not listed day to day because there's not that pressure then on the company. It's like every two seconds to answer for why is right. it up and down, whatever. Right. <laughs> so that'd be good. So, yeah, I think that, that, so would it be separate from the New York stock exchange or would it take that? Would it know it, it would, it would give you that stock on the New York stock exchange for that price, but it would just be a, a separate platform where you only see the stock price every week or month and you can't sell it until a certain time. Yeah. I'm not, Honestly, 100% sure how it would manifest. It's like a relatively newer 
mm-hmm. thing that I've heard about. But I like it though. Yeah, long term stock exchange. Uh, you can go to ltse.com. Ah. So it's its own independent market. It seems like. Are we are we sponsored now? Are yeah. We- <laughs> Stamps.com <laughs> as well. um okay and the other thing too is uh like co-ops and shared ownership so if you have a company like i think costco does this and um there's a couple other big ones like that where you know you're sharing the ownership among people they vote on big decisions and that sort of thing so like you were saying with the ceo where they're like have a million more times paid than the typical worker like what about a company that's a little more democratically run and gives workers their fair voice and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be good. I think I think unions would also help, you know, people. <sighs> Unfortunately, the unions have gotten so politicized, but I think there's ultimately a, a plus for the worker that I think have, have gotten uh, demonized and demoralized over the years. So they're not as uh, powerful or as prevalent as they should be. But I think unions would help workers band together to, to, to use their force to improve quality of life, working conditions, pay, all that stuff. So now that um, the Democrats have the presidency and the majority in the Senate and or, you know, Congress, yeah. then um, all of our problems are solved. Right. They're going to, you know, absolutely. They're going <laughs> to pass all this stuff and it's going to pass. Without any worry or objection from the other side because they realize, yeah, you're in power. You can do what you want. Yeah, that's exactly how politics works, Tim. Yeah, and we both voted for Joe Biden, so we're blinded at all by this hope. Yeah. Anyway. Um, But no, yeah, like what? any other good ideas for solving uh, this dysfunctional capitalist society that we live in? (laughs) Those are just two that came to mind. I think, you know, the more I think about like a company like Apple, I just think, you know, like when you contrast, contrast their uh, privacy stance with like Facebook, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're taking a stand and saying, look, we can make all this money from advertising, from selling Mm -hmm. your data, but we're like deliberately going away from that direction. We're just, we just want to make these great products and whatever. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the more I think about it, I feel like if more companies, you know, kind of follow that idea, that would be a good thing. Right. He, yeah, the author does not mention Facebook in this book, does he? He does towards the end. He does? A little, yeah, just a couple pages, I think. Okay. I yeah. maybe missed that. But I felt like Facebook applied in many things throughout this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when he talked about worthy rivals, that's another part I liked. I enjoyed the wor- worthy rivals part because mm-hmm. looking at your competitors in your field, not as people to squash or or defeat but as as worthy rivals who are people with skills that you can observe and learn from Mm -hmm. um and and respect but you know because i think that's that's key you you need you need a worthy rival to you know to make sure you perform at your best right they're pushing you to become a better company yeah right and then and then in that in that section, I thought about Facebook because the author talks about how, you know, when start when other things maybe, you know, this a company may come along and have massive growth and really be powerful, and then other companies come along and they see that those other companies that follow them as threats, mm-hmm. and I immediately thought of Facebook because. 
Facebook came along, was super powerful, and then what happened when Instagram, WhatsApp, and all these other things started popping up? They just bought them. <laughs> Facebook spotted them and bought them. Yeah. <laughs> so you think they're due for some antitrust uh, legislation? Right? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna be serious. I'm gonna be curious to see how that unfolds over the next year or so, because I think I, Facebook's probably gonna get broken up, but. We'll see. Yeah, I just it's not really healthy for the tech ecosystem, I think, to every new thing that comes along, you figure it's just going to get bought. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they'll add some innovations to it. But it just I think the world would be more interesting if younger companies had a chance to actually compete with the bigger ones. And then um, what's the other he talks about, like Google and. uh, Oh, Amazon. Okay, so. Amazon, you can say like, you know, maybe their cloud area is an infinite game and they're doing well in that, not as focused on competitors. But then you have like, you know, their Amazon Basics brand, which is basically you're getting this data from other platforms and then you're selling their same product for cheaper and kind of undercutting them. And um, and then at the end of the day, they're making profit in the short term. But I feel like it's been so harmful to their brand and among sellers. Like at the same time, their customer is the people selling to other customers you know what i mean yeah yeah i don't know i'm i I feel like i don't know amazon is getting to the point where it's becoming so ubiquitous in our life that it's not gonna matter really if they do have ethical fading and do some shady stuff to undercut smaller other businesses they're not gonna suffer the repercussions of it because they are so big and almighty yeah We'll see. I mean, like you said, with Facebook and Amazon, we'll see if they uh, face some pressure to kind of not be as uh, monopolistic or whatever. Another thing I thought back to that worthy rivals. Another thing I thought about when reading that section was another book I read was Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience. And, And because Flow talked about how your skills and the activity you are doing need to be need to match like and hit the example in the, the book of flow was like tennis when you first learn to play tennis you're just happy if you hit the ball over the net that's that's your focus and your attention creates this flow activity where you where you are all you're engrossed entirely in this um you know process of playing tennis and mm-hmm. you time time passes in a blink of an eye because your your whole mind is focused on this event um, so at the first, you're just happy to hit the ball over the net. But then as that as you progress and get better, you may want to play another person, like keep score and, and see, you know, who would win that match. And then as you get better still, like if you still play your younger sibling and you can beat them all the time, that, that gets boring. So if you if your skills get too far past a point, then you become bored with the activity. So you need to find a bigger challenge to sharp to keep your skills so you can maintain that flow experience of always being you know alert and attentive to the task at hand and i think the worthy rivals was a good chapter about that as well like you don't want to pick a worthy rival that you're gonna crush every time like mm-hmm. like you know apple doesn't compete with you know uh blackberry anymore right mm-hmm. i mean but you know at one point so they did um, but now Apple's on to competing with other companies that are their wor- worthy rivals because they need to, they need a bigger challenge because, um, they're, they're, uh, have succeeded so well. Yeah. And I think 
also just from the flip perspective of that is um, BlackBerry tried to complete compete with Apple and started like they had those mechanical keyboards which were cool and kind of had their own like you know audience for that so maybe what if they'd went on to just kind of be the best at whatever they stood for but instead mm-hmm. they tried to be just like Apple and they just made a less good smartphone with touchscreen right. whatever so right. yeah that's the thing it's like a lot of companies are so tempted to fall in this trap like oh this is popular so let's just copy whatever they're doing versus right. you know sticking with whatever our mission with our mission with which we started is yeah (laughs) and it connects to i was like how do i word that back to make sense um so his book start with why which i read originally it's basically like yeah like start with why why are you doing what you're doing like why does your company exist what do you stand for otherwise like you don't have a strong basis or foundation to connect back to like every decision thereafter right okay interesting Yeah. yeah Yeah, and then I thought it was also interesting how um, the, the author himself, Simon Sinek, Sinek, Sinek yeah. spoke about his worthy rival when he would he would compete internally with Adam Grant. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. Have you read anything by him? Or I have not read anything by Adam Grant, but I googled him after this book, and I think I would like Adam Grant a little more mm. because I think. Grant talks more about psychology on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Like his new, he has a new book coming out, Think Again, mm-hmm. which is about how uh, how we trust our first instincts a little too much, and we and it takes a lot of power for us to think again and rethink things that we've already thought we conclude made up our minds on. So he just copied Malcolm Gladwell's book. <laughs> what do you mean? No, is, he copied it, it like in the reverse. Talking with strangers about how we should oh. trust our first instinct. Well, no, you could you, uh, you could make the argument that Adam Grant is countering Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink, right? Blink is we make decisions in the blink of an eye. Man, there's too many books out there. They're all just <laughs> the same five guys writing, <laughs> writing the same five books in different ways. <laughs> It's an infinite game. It just keeps going on. <laughs> you don't, yeah. It's just you, you read the books not to finish all of them, Tim. You just read books to read books. Yeah. Adam yeah. Grant is, uh, I can see that they're rivals. It's funny because it kind yeah. of similar style or whatever. Oh, yeah. Very. Yeah. But no, I thought that was good. So he's uh, got a podcast, actually. I just downloaded an episode where he like interviews Adam Grant, or maybe what? it's Adam Grant talking about his newest book. Yeah, no, it's he. I found an episode where he uh, interviews Adam Grant on his podcast. Simon. Oh, does. Simon has a podcast. Yeah, it's a bit of optimism. Not a hmm. lot of episodes, but hmm. um, staring into the sun in his in his picture because <laughs> it's like I don't know, yeah. optimistic representing. Uh, um, and then also he interviews the writer of uh, Inf- Finite and Infinite Games. So who sadly passed away this uh, past year. He was huh. he was kind of older, but he talked about like his book originally and how it inspired him. So yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you got any quotes or anything? I think uh, I got one more because go this this one stuck with me because I and this was like at the end of the book when he finally talks about more than just business. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a little too business heavy, but I understand you're a business guy, Tim. <laughs> you're in Seattle with well, the, all the techies man. now, so you're. <laughs> Killing it like every week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so here here's a good quote. 
To parent with an infinite mindset, in contrast, means helping our kids discover their talents, pointing them to find their own passions, and encouraging they take that path. It means teaching our children the value of service, teaching them how to make friends and play well with others. It means teaching our kids that their education will continue for long after they graduate school. It will last their entire lives. And there may not be any curriculum or grades to guide them. It means teaching our kids how to live a life with an infinite mindset themselves. There is no single greater contribution in the infinite game than to raise children who will continue to grow and serve others long after we are gone. All right. That's a good section. But like, how do you have eight chapters about business and then like two paragraphs about parenting just thrown in there? At the end? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I that's don't why you know. read it? <laughs> okay. What's that? That's why you read that part? <laughs> that's why I read that part because it's my favorite part of the book. And it was, uh, okay. you're right. Like I wanted a whole chapter on parenting and with the infinite mindset. So he should take that and make a separate parenting book. Are you having a kid? Are you expecting no. a child soon? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Come on, Tim. I just liked his. I just want more applications of the infinite mindset in other areas. I wish it was a little more relatable to versus yeah. like the CEO Correct. business audience. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right. Rating time. Rating time. You I'll go, go first? first. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a three. Yeah. Three out of five. I think that's fair. All right, that's fair. Uh, you? You know, that's tough. I've just started thinking about this now. I think I'm between a three and a four. I wanted to, you know, not overthink it, but now I am. Um, <laughs> between a three and a four. Between a three and a four. Oh, that's tough. You got to make up your mind. No half stars. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel like idea-wise. It's okay. Yeah, I think I will. Because idea-wise, I'd say it's like four. I really like the message overall. But like execution-wise, take out you know, parts that aren't as relevant, stay focused, some of the language, I don't know. I feel like it could be a little less lofty and a little more focused or whatever. It's an infinite game, man. How lofty, <laughs> how much more lofty can you, I mean, you can't get any less lofty than that. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. We're dealing with these like made up theoretical concepts. Yeah. So there's right. going to be shades of gray and whatever. It, um, it's just, it's, it's more like a mental exercise. Like nobody can actually conceptualize infinite. But right. it's, it's about a, a mindset of the future. Right. It's a high-level book with a lot of, like, theoretical, um, right. qualitative data. Right. But but worth the read for the right audience. Yeah. yeah. I 100% agree. For the right audience, it's a good book. For me, it was like, okay. But the idea, I really like the idea. So three stars. Yeah. Three stars. Same here. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Um, what do we got next? What do we got next? That, it's a, I'm picking the next book, and it is Station Eleven, I'm pretty sure, by Emily St. Not Station Ten? You already read that, that one? You already read one through ten? That's <laughs> 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 not funny. Come on. That, no, I, I actually do like that one. I mean, it's not funny, but I laugh at a lot of things that aren't funny. But, yeah, that's you know. why this podcast works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Station Eleven by... I yeah Emily Man St John Mandel. St. John Mandel right I feel like the right. longer your name is the more of an author you are <laughs> like, <laughs> the more like Timothy St John yeah Mandel. we'll save it for next time Tim okay. come on I'll All save right. my right. bad jokes for then All right so in the meantime everybody go to twoguysonebook.com that is all all together all lowercase all written out twoguysonebook.com 
you can see what books we're reading after Station Eleven, maybe Station Twelve or Thirteen. Yeah. But but then you can also comment on anything you like. I, we have the books. We all our histories on there. You can comment on past books or on future books and let us know what you think. And for anyone who's listened to this this far, uh, why? What what has made you stick around through this very average <laughs> amateur attempt at a podcast? And give us uh, you know your your feedback. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so until next time. Keep reading. Keep reading.